ever play Risk? Get out your boards, we're going to play a game called the Ukraine Campaign. I'm Monica Perez, and this is today's Deep Dive. So my headline for today, the diving board, if you will, was NATO should admit Finland and Sweden ASAP. It would enhance the alliance's security and send a powerful message to Russia. Then the article, which is from the Wall Street Journal, it's an op-ed piece by a guy named John Denny, who's at the Army War College and also a member of the Atlantic Council, which I Zelensky got an award from there. He's a member from there. I know the Atlantic Council is closely connected with Zelensky. And the article kind of goes into what is the true purpose of NATO and why Finland and Sweden would be an asset to NATO. And it goes on to claim that it would deter Russia by raising the stakes. Now, I think we've seen what happens when you threaten Russia with NATO on its borders. I'm not sure that this article passes muster past the headline itself, and I want to get into it. But why do I even care about this? I mean, obviously, a year ago, I probably wouldn't even be like, Finland, Sweden, who cares? You know, wouldn't mean anything to me. But now that we see what's actually happening over there, what NATO is really all about, which I wouldn't even have known if it didn't come to a head this way, is that people are getting killed and robbed in our name and with the help of our money. And actually, our own soldiers are being put at risk. And it's it's incredibly provocative. Finland, I think Sweden might too, but Finland shares a big border with Russia. I mean, this would be like uh, lining up troops on the Canadian border. I mean, it's really a provocative thing to do. And it could be considered a causus belli, like an act of war in itself, because it's just can have no other purpose. And for us to take that chance of provoking a broader conflict, it would not benefit us at all. They use our name and our taxpayer dollars to provoke these things, but really it goes to uh, the benefit of the powers that be. And we're going to get into what those benefits would be and who would benefit, but we have no upside, only downside. They are kind of insulated on the downside because a lot of them are billionaires and they have a lot of upside because there are billions flowing and there's power at play. So if you don't think we're talking about real money and real soldiers that this is theoretical and abstract, it is absolutely not because the reason this article caught my eye is an article I saw earlier this week, House passes $40 billion aid bill for Ukraine. $40 billion. It's military aid, humanitarian assistance, and money for the whole world to compensate for the disruption in the food supply chain. I mean, that's a stretch. And what that really is, in my mind, is getting money out there in all these different countries to pay off your warlords, to pay off your puppets. We saw an event 201 that these guys make a conscious express effort to get their oligarchs inside countries to threaten and control the elected officials. I mean, that's literally in some of the events. It's called, they call it soft power. And that's this is what makes soft power happen. I mean, and if you think about not only the impact that could have on the rest of the world, I mean, think about the impact that like the negative impact it has on us, like $40 billion, say there are 30 
metropolitan areas in this country, big metropolitan areas. Maybe you could say 10 or 5 or 40, but in any case, 40 would be even including pretty small ones. A billion dollars to a city like that is a lot of money. Think about what your city could do with a billion dollars. Think about how how hard it is to get that money put to work if you have a project. So it's real money and we are paying for that. And it passed basically without any discussion or dissent, a lift, maybe 50 Republicans voted against it. Then it gets really absorbed in grafts and corruption, not only in the rest of the world and all those places they're sending it as like food relief, but Zelensky and Biden are both seem to be elbow deep in the corruption and the money flowing there. I've already covered many times, and I'm sure I'll hit it again back in the day, how deeply immersed in both China and Ukraine the Biden cohort is with John Kerry and the Bulgers and Devin Archer was a big feature in those stories that I was talking about. But this is not $50,000 a year for Hunter Biden sitting on the board of Burisma, I think it equates to more like a billion or billions. And I just saw a little screenshot. It was, you know, I didn't dig into it, but I've heard a lot of rumors like this. And but it was on a fairly, I think, quite reliable source, VoltaireNet, where there were questions that is Zelensky seriously approaching a billion dollars in net worth himself? He was a bit of a media mogul before. And his godfather, I guess, rabbi would be Kolomoisky, who is also in that Biden cohort, who's a big, vicious oligarch in Ukraine and was well known for grafting, you know, for getting money out of these, out of the kind of IMF money that was flowing into Ukraine. So this is a big part of that, is that this money goes over there and it's really used for corrupt purposes. And it's our money. And it's so much money. If you think about what the Trump impeachment was all about, that was because Trump was making, it was like a quid pro quo. We'll give you your aid if you get rid of this prosecutor, something like that. It was completely scripted and crap. And now that you know what an actress Lenski is, it's I think that my suspicions that that was highly scripted were correct. But the magnitude of what the money was that we were talking about then, I think it was $400 million at stake then. And I even said, and I've repeated it recently, that this was probably a way just to get the left on board with sending money over to Ukraine because it was anti-Trumpian to do so. But just think about the magnitude of this. Obama sent over about a billion dollars. Trump sent over... Um, between materiel or whatever military aid and actual money, who was probably closer to two billion for Trump, this is forty billion, and that's on top of thirteen billion that went out like a month ago. I mean, this is really—I think that would be a hundred times forty billion is a hundred times four hundred million. That's the magnitude of what we're talking about, and we're not even talking about it. Trump was impeached over an amount a hundredth this time. This amount. And the fact that that impeachment thing folds into this makes me feel like this phase of the plan has been in the works for a while and they knew what they were going to do kind of confirms my suspicions that these things take time and are well planned in advance. But it's not just our money. And sometimes that money flows over in the form of actual weapons. I was reading in that same Voltaire Net article, which I will put in the show notes, that 
some of the stuff we send over there isn't even anything they could use. They don't have a place to use it. They don't have the people trained to use it. That it's sent over there and then they'll just sell it onto the black market to non-state actors, I guess, and just get that stuff out there. I mean, there's a lot of behind the scenes opportunities for exploiting this. Now, is it the main purpose? Mm, let's think about that as this as we unpack all this. Let's let's come to our own conclusions. Because it's not just money that's flowing over there. It's also people. We have now over 100,000 troops in Europe. And the reason I started really digging into this is somebody told me that a friend of theirs is going to Poland. It's in service and he's going to Poland now. Like He's not there yet. So they're still shipping people over there. And there's already a lot of people in Poland. Germany has 38,500, give or take, of our soldiers. And this might be, this. these numbers are probably a couple of months old. Poland already has probably 11,000 U.S. troops over there. I mean, that's a lot. That's a force. <laughs> you know, that's a force. And those people are in danger. They are our people and they're there in the line of fire. And God forbid our guys start using as an excuse to go be involved. Well, we have to protect our troops over there. It's like you keep sending troops into a war zone. Don't come back later and tell me that you've got to go protect them. I mean, that's literally what they call a moral hazard. So our blood and treasure is being spent on this war all in the name of NATO, as if it's a, a peacekeeping organization. And we know that it has actually talked about it's only ever had one enemy, and that's Russia. And even after the Berlin Wall fell and all that stuff, they still maintain. Maybe they took a little break, but they still to this day maintain. And you can hear them say it. Russia is an enemy. Russia is the enemy. So this article in the journal was the one that was written by the Atlantic Council guy. And he lays out the three purposes of NATO. And as a libertarian, I probably object to every one of them. <laughs> it's, it's like what I used to say about Rush. Like um, half the time I disagree with him and the other half of the time he's lying. And I loved Rush. I, I really thought Rush was great, but I, I knew... That way his libertarian stuff wasn't really get really where the rubber hit the road and the neocon stuff I didn't like. So anyway, this guy says the first thing, he's got three things. The first thing is NATO is the best means of ensuring the stability and security that underwrites the transatlantic economic relationship. So I, as a libertarian and a thinker and know a little bit about economics, free trade and mutual cooperation is the natural foundation of economic relationships. And they never need to be exclusive. You don't need to have an in-group and an out-group. NATO is the foundation of this trade. It's more trade than we have with China. In-group and out-group stuff, whether it's a secret society or a church or a, a trade union, it's always meant to secure advantages that free competition would threaten. It's always meant to secure advantages for people inside the group that if you were to go outside the group, it would basically lower the price. <laughs> you know, they're barriers to entry. The second purpose this guy states is NATO represents a community of shared values. And then he names them. And I'm telling you, if it, I did laugh, but I probably should cry. Democracy, the rule of law, 
individual liberty and national sovereignty are the bedrock of the alliance, he says. Now, first of all, anyone can regurgitate those platitudes all around the world. And of all things, I would say every single one of those things, democracy, the rule of law, individual liberty, and national sovereignty have all been violated by us in the persons of Victoria Newland, Jeffrey Pyatt, and everybody who helped them with this coup against Ukraine. Those four things have been violated just in this one example of Ukraine. So the democracy element is mob rule, <laughs> basically. It's not foundational documents. It's not a, a republic that executes a constitution, which is objective rule, and that goes to the rule of law. It's mob rule that's susceptible to and manipulated by propaganda machines, whether it's academia or media or state institutions, politicians. It's just demagoguery. It's more demagoguery than democracy. Then the rule of law is really about how everybody is held to the same standard, and that standard is law. It's the rule of law, not the rule of rulers. But that clearly is totally violated here. I mean, absolutely. And the democracy thing, they ch chased Yanukovych out. The rule of law, some people are held to, this, to one standard and some people are held to the other. I mean, they have Nazis torturing people. There's individual liberty. I mean, unless that guy is a hardcore anti-vaxxer. <laughs> I can't imagine that he's against the vax mandates that tried to take over many NATO countries. And then the idea of them respecting national sovereignty. As I talked about earlier this week, I mean, American exceptionalism is about national sovereignty not needing to be respected by us. And NATO is, is really just our minions at this point. But you can look at Syria, Libya, Iraq, Iran, and, and Ukraine, obviously. We violate all tenets of national sovereignty. And then his last, his third point is that America's allies in NATO help to share the burdens of defending and promoting shared interests from boots on the ground in Afghanistan to bearing the burden of Russian sanctions. <laughs> so first of all, shared interests do not justify war and hostility and, and aggression. That is not okay. If you look at, I think it's St. Augustine's, tenets of just war. I've got to brush up on those. But it, interests are not valid. Just war is really a defensive position. And I think you even have to be able to win, you know, or try to negotiate. I don't know. But you're definitely not allowed to cite shared interests. And especially he's citing economic interests. NATO is a military alliance. It's not the EU. It's NATO. It's a military alliance. And it cannot justify economic stuff, shared interests. No, no, no. And we're co-opting these other countries who have skin in the game to do our bidding over there. It's really, it's like, it's so immoral. By the end of the article, <laughs> it's like NATO is so much worse than I thought. And then I did a little more digging and found from March, Jens Stoltenberg, who's the secretary general of NATO. I mean, really taking a militaristic posture, bragging about how many troops are there, about the Patriot missiles over in Germany and Poland and stuff. And he says, we need to reset our military posture for this new reality. And he said they're going to start figuring out concrete measures to reinforce security for the longer term in all domains. On land, he would have higher readiness more pre-positioned equipment. That means bringing, this is where our risk board comes in. That means putting those little cubes right up on Russia's border. 
And he would consider a major increase in air and naval deployments. I mean, this is preparing for war. This is provoking war and stating your intentions. I mean, this justifies Russia doing really anything against especially Finland and Sweden before they're, they're, they're in a mutual defense pact with us. He also wants to reinforce cyber defenses and hold more and larger exercises And he says, of course, in the end, major reinforcements for our defense will require major increases in investment. So this, he said he wants to make sure everybody puts that 2% of GDP in. And it's kind of funny how this was exactly what Trump was saying. And I was like, you know, maybe putting a lot of more money into military buildup in Europe isn't like the best way to go. But of course, people who were subject to the Trump personality cult were like, yeah, he's right. They should pay their way. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I think this might not be so great. And then my the last little resource I, I found was a an article from CNBC. It says, Finland and Sweden joining NATO will help deter Russia, says security analyst from, and then I looked and it was from the Atlantic Council. So it's basically the same headline from a different media outlet, from a different person, but all speaking for the same organization, the Atlantic Council. So I just dug into that a little bit. And I mean, I knew the Atlantic Council was like as globalist as you can get, but let me just rattle off like the the first, whatever, the top 10 contributors. United Arab Emirates, Facebook, Goldman Sachs, the Rockefeller Foundation, Amazon, Charles Koch Institute, the Department of Defense, the State Department, and Verizon. There are a few more, but I don't know them. Accenture, Airbus, goes on and on and on and on and on and on (laughs) and on. But those are the big ones. So you can see those are... It's in their interest for whatever reason. Those are corporations manipulating world politics, pushing it towards war. So you can dig into that. We'll maybe dig into it another time, maybe do a whole show on the Atlantic Council. I bet we could find some real dirt. But let me just give you the upshot of why I think the U.S. provoked Russia to take this military action. I think we can probably come to some conclusions right now about that. So I think, number one, they want to have an excuse to really build things up over there, to move all that equipment and to move all those troops and to bring it right up to the border. That's what they wanted. They want to antagonize or just be in position because they either want a hot war or a cold war with Russia. And a hot war to me is just a money pit. It's for the defense companies. It's for the banks. They'd love that. But It's really that. And then the Cold War, though, I think would essentially bifurcate the world kind of like it was before and neutralize the competition in the old world, which is would be the West and the U.S. and stuff. It would insulate that whole economic sphere from this rising economic block of China, which would be the industrial base and Russia, would, which would be the resource supplier. So if you are a mature in kind of uncompetitive industry, what you want to do is put up barriers to entry. So if you can say we can't trade across borders like that, we'll insulate ourselves. So I think that it, it's in in that order. Number one, it justifies this massive transfer of troops and material, and they can use Russia as the aggressor to justify it. But I feel like 
the money flowing over there is also, you know, it's, it always feels so big picture, so geopolitical, who, you know, who are the lizards, whatever. But I think in this case, I think that corruption, the money really plays a big role. And especially in Ukraine, where it's really corrupt, it's always been a cesspool of corruption. And Biden and Zelensky really have been caught with their hands in the cookie jar in Ukraine when aid flows there in the past, like in the Obama administration and now Zelensky having this tremendous increase in personal wealth, according to rumor has it. Anyway, so I think it's about justifying moving troops and materiel over there, flowing money in there for people to like corruptly pull it apart, and then bigger picture, either having a hot war with Russia, which would be big money for defense and banks, or a cold war with Russia, which would kind of insulate. If you're the declining economic power, you probably have a lot of military might. So you want you want to insulate yourself from the economic competition and keep the realm of competition in the military sphere. So I think that those are really the upshots here. But I think the bigger picture to remember in our own lives, so even if we cannot figure out what's really going on and why, we can know that it is not okay to support these kind of actions, sending over armed people to uh, engage in aggression in a country that is not ours, because if you don't have the right to kill or steal, the people who are entirely your agents, entirely funded by your money, they don't have the right to kill or steal. So unless you would pick up a gun and go over there and shoot a Russian soldier, <laughs> you know, or shoot, shoot some civilian in the Donbass, then you really can't okay this. And the fact that it's so far away means you can't okay it, which is why we have no business as a democratic republic based on liberty and foundational documents, to be involved in in this empire. So the burden of proof for them is on them to prove to us that this is a defensive operation and there ain't no way. <laughs> so stick to your guns. And I mean that really metaphorically. Stick to your principles. So just a quick admin note I'm going to be interviewing the great Tina Marie of Learn the Risk. I've talked to her before, and you've probably heard her on uh, the Propaganda Report. I'm going to put it in the feed on Monday, but I'm on a dollar. It gets taken down. So if you can't find it in your podcasting app, please go to thepropreport.com because until... Until these censorship state levels up, that is a very safe space for nothing's ever going to get taken down from the propreport.com. So you can, if you ever are missing a show, you want to look for something, try there. My, everything I do should be there. And that's it for today's deep dive. I'm Monica Perez. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it on social media or with someone you think would also enjoy it. And feel free to tweet at me at Monica Perez. Show.